0: Shalom, Shalom, friends. It's great to see everyone. Thanks for learning with us today. We are delighted to be here with Russ Linden, who is a management consultant, leadership instructor, and author who's worked with public and nonprofit organizations for 35 years. He's also a regular shul goer and often gives the Dvar Torah at his lay-led Shabbat morning service. I've got to know. Uh, Russ over the years and really appreciate not only his intellect, but also his kindness. And we are here to discuss his new book that came out in September, Loss and Discovery, What the Torah Can Teach Us About Leading Change. This came out, as I said, in just September, published by WIP and Stock. And so this is now available. You can check this out. Uh, Russ Linden has written many books on management and leadership, but this is the first that includes Torah. So, Russ, thanks for being here. Wonderful to see
1: you, Shmuley, and I want your listeners and watchers to know that if they get the book, they should read the commentary at the end of chapter three. It's by Rev Shmuley. I have uh, several experts and Torah scholars who wrote commentary about different parts of the book so people
0: could get more than one um, perspective, but I love Shmuley's comments. Thank you so much, and it's an honor to be a part of it. So as you know, there's countless books out there on leadership and change. So why this book and why now?
1: It's a great question. Around 19, uh, 2017, 2018 Shmuley, I started to reflect on a, a mantra of frames in my work that people have been saying for years, which is change is faster and faster. But by the 2017, 2018 time period, it occurred to me, it's not only faster Shmuley, it's more disruptive. Things coming out of nowhere that you can't expect and that are changing the rules, examples. Um, We've known about climate change for decades, but it's now creating extreme weather events. On the West Coast, what they used to call fire season is now called fire year. It's year round because of severe droughts. The Me Too movement, that was a new hashtag in 2006, didn't get viral. Fast forward, 2017, somebody made comments about a Hollywood mogul, suddenly, Hundreds, thousands of offices are under uh, appropriate appropriate pressure to get their act together. Our divisive politics, we can't agree if an election was appropriate or not. And of course, I haven't even mentioned the pandemic. Why that? Why now? Because leading change is one thing, but when you can't plan, how do you write a strategic plan when you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring? How do you plan six months in advance when tomorrow there's a new priority? They keep changing the rules about the pandemic. So I look to the Torah and I say, there was disruption back then. The great flood, extreme weather, droughts led to political change, Egypt, five incredible sisters, their father had died. They demand their equal right to inherit the land and God agrees. The Torah is full of changes. Moses goes to God and says, God, yes, the golden calf was terrible, but don't wipe out your chosen people. God hesitates. Moses says, look, what will your enemies say? Moses is thinking strategically. So there's so much we can learn because the Torah is filled with disruption, but also wonderful, wonderful messages.
0: Amazing, amazing. And I couldn't agree more. It is completely overwhelming to think about how fast we need to adapt today uh, with an incredible amount of uncertainty. And And I appreciate your point that the Torah is full of disruption and change. How do you think in addition to that, dynamic within Torah that there is insight, unique insight that emerges from Torah that is um, uh, as to why you chose it for this book? It's a great
1: question. The fact that there's disruption doesn't necessarily mean we can learn. So uh, some of your viewers may agree or disagree. I look at the Torah, Shmuley, and I see a God, a literary God, not necessarily the being to whom all of us, many of us pray that was described in ways perhaps by our inspired um, forebears who wrote the script, that a God that is described in human terms, perhaps to make God more accessible. Example, the great flood. Yes, the earth was filled with evil. And then what does God do? God says, I don't think I'm gonna do that again. God repents. So the source of everything says, anybody can make a mistake. And we acknowledge it and we move forward. So there's a sense in the Torah, amazingly to some readers, that there's some humility there. Think of Joseph, an arrogant young man for reasons we understand he was favored. He becomes someone who's empathetic. He sees two prisoner in prison, he says, you don't look so good, what's wrong? He ascribes all of his dream uh, interpretations to God. Uh, what else can we learn? Speaking truth to power. The five daughters of Zelohahad. That i mentioned earlier. All five of them go to Moses and the leaders, not just one who might have been overwhelmed. They speak honestly, they think strategically. They say our father didn't follow Korak and rebel against Moses. But we have our father left no males. The law says we will get be left nothing. You know the story, truly. Moses apparently says it's above my pay grade. Moses says, What do you say, God and God? To many readers' amazement, says, they're right. <laughs> change the law. So when we do things with respect, when we plan, we can speak truth to power. A third lesson, Shmuley, is leaders have to learn and change. Uh, One of the chapters is about Jacob and Joseph, and my reading of the Jacob story is, I love the man, I can empathize with him, but to my eyes, and I know some sages certainly disagree, I don't see Jacob changing in his behaviors. Perhaps in his heart, perhaps after he got a new name, I don't see the change. And yet Joseph, again, Joseph becomes a mensch. with all this power, he becomes a mensch. So how do leaders learn and change? Many of the leaders in the Torah do. Moses, as you know, Moses is making all the decisions. His father-in-law Eutro comes, he observes him, he says, Moses, you're doing it wrong. Explains how to create a system. And Moses, to his credit, listens and changes. So especially in a time of disruption, Shmuley, all of us, not just leaders, have to say, what's changing? What am I doing that I have to let go of? What am I doing that works? And I would, go ahead, were you going to say something? Oh, please. Yeah. Well, just one more. To me, a kind of a macro lesson from the Torah is, and this is true of modern organizations, that when things are so disruptive, when things are changing so fast and we can't anticipate. Be adaptive and flexible in virtually everything, but whatever is at the core of your organization. As I know you, Rev. Shmuley, and what you're doing, I suspect the core might be education and social justice, social action. I'm just thinking aloud. Change everything. God gives the people 10 commandments. God gives the people a core of beliefs that are are as true today as then. And yet wandering through 40 years, they're always having to change virtually everything else. So how can we be adaptive and flexible, but hold on to that core?
0: One of the things I love here is that you bring not only your research and you bring Torah together, but also in the chapter about resistance to change, you cite research from neuroscientists. And I wonder what what did you learn from them? And why is that relevant to leading change during disruptive times?
1: In some ways, to me, that's the central question. For years, I would read the Exodus story, the delight, the excitement of leaving Egypt. and Almost immediately, as you know, the people start to fetch. They complain. Better we were left in Egypt. Why did you do this? And I could never understand this. How ungrateful, until I'm starting to learn from neuroscientists. Briefly, they teach, among other things, through something called fMRIs, ways of looking at the, the brain as we do things that our brains are wired for predictability and control. Our brains actually are often making predictions and amazingly when the prediction is right, a substance called dopamine, the pleasure part of the brain is secreted. But when the brain gets a prediction wrong, the dopamine goes on strike. In other words, the brain is wired for predictability and consistency, the opposite of what we have today, the opposite of what the Israelites had. Well, a listener might say, so what? Well, (laughs) you don't have to be in a period of disruption to know that people often resist change. But a better way to think about it, and what I'm learning from the neuroscientists, is they don't necessarily resist change. People resist loss. If you do a reorganization at the Beit Midrash and people don't understand it, I hope this isn't true, but it wouldn't be surprising if some of them were thinking, what is this? What's going to happen? Who will I report to? What about my colleagues, my relationships? Not everybody. Some people love change, but most of us, we want things stable. So the notion that our brains are wired for what's not happening today is one thing that I'm learning. And secondly, is this notion of loss aversion. We are more motivated to resist to prevent loss than to achieve gain if you talk to or read about a high performing athlete they'll tell you that yes they love the wins but they really remember the losses Mm. (laughs) those stick for a long time Mm. for many of us high achievers schmule you are one of them countless books you may think more about something you wish you'd written differently in a book than the hundreds of pages where you felt like you got it right Mm -hmm. and so what's a lesson for leaders When we can't predict everything, tell people what we do know, communicate frequently. When it changes, say, you know what? It's different today, but I owe you the truth. That forms relationships, which forms trust. Because when things don't go well, they want to know if they can trust that leader. Mm -hmm. And one other thought about this, when the change is massive, as a colleague of mine likes to say, shrink the change. Break it down into small parts. God had Moses tell the people to build this amazing Mishkan. By the way, the one major factor, one major event in the Torah where, according to some rabbis, the people never complained. And at the end, Moses blessed them, but it was done step by step. Here's a blueprint, here's where to put the curtains, here's the colors. So can we break these great deal changes, huge changes into small, discrete steps so people can can absorb them?
0: Beautiful, beautiful. One last question for you. I feel like I could talk with you all day about this. Are, are there some concepts or approaches in the book that you think we might not find in other leadership books? Well,
1: there's lots of ideas that we take and modify. As you know, there are two things that, at least to my eyes, I haven't seen elsewhere. One is something I call leading by indirection. I owe uh, this this insight from the Torah to our, our rabbi Rabbi Dan Alexander here in Charlottesville once pointed out to me that days after leaving Egypt, God brings the people south, which is the opposite direction to go toward the promised land It should have been northeast. Mm -hmm. Why? He said we might go through a land where the Philistines I think it was the Philistines at any rate are there. And it's a warrior like tribe and our people are not ready. Leading by indirection. It's not to fool people. It's not to disguise your intention. But as you know, Shmuley, sometimes to get from A to B, you got to go through Q and Z and R and of and Bet. So, what would be an example? <clears throat> contemporary example, well, not contemporary, but within our country's history Abraham Lincoln and the proclamation giving slaves freedom. It was done step by step. He did it for military reasons. He waited till people were ready. A different example of something that's different in this book would be the notion of redirecting people's forces. There's a wonderful quote from a great, <clears throat> excuse me, futurist who said, don't oppose forces, use them. So what am I saying? Shmueldi, if somebody went to you and said, Shmueldi, you got it wrong. You might, like me, sometimes get defensive. Or you might say, OK, how do we make it better? Any parent with kids know if the kids start scrolling on the uh, writing on the wall, you can yell and scream, or you could give them their own sheet of paper and redirect the energies. For people out there who know Aikido, that's exactly what Aikido is. You go with someone and they make your motion go in a way that defeats your own intention. So redirecting, if people are in opposition, let's say cynics, and I used to have a hard time with cynics until I learned about this. You don't say to cynics, come on, things are gonna be good, because the cynic will say, well, it's raining somewhere. You say, okay, um, I get it. You think that we're on the wrong track. Critique this plan for me which gets them involved. And then can you find one way to overcome some of the obstacles you see? So we're not trying to change people, we're trying to use what people bring to us to bring all of us to a better place. And finally, this is a controversial notion, but some people would say that what what Aaron did with the golden calf, rather than yell and scream, tell the people to stop, Aaron, of course, helped them build the calf. And some of our sages say, well, Aaron was afraid for his life and that there'd be violent rebellion. So Aaron redirected into something that was less bad, you could say, until he could correct with Moses, could
0: correct the matter. Amazing, amazing. Friends, this is only a little taste of what you can experience in loss and discovery, what the Torah can teach us about leadership and change. It's not only unique because there's great Torah in there to learn, but also because with Russ Linden, you're getting a management consultant, leadership instructor and author who's worked with public and nonprofit organizations for 35 years. This is a gem and I wanna recommend it. Russ Linden, thank you for this time and for the great work you're doing.
1: It was fun. Really wonderful to speak with you. Take care.